Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. That was a new song for me that Rodney had found. God speak to me that he knows us. But it actually fits in with the sermon today. And we didn't do that on purpose, but it's, I like it when it happens this way. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 4, if you look at verse 12, and I'm going to read from the old King James Version. That's how I remember that's how I learned this verse. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That the word of God is so powerful, it's quick, it's powerful. It simply means it's living and it's active. This is not just any book. This isn't like Shakespeare. This isn't like an encyclopedia. It's a living book. God breathed life into it, and it's one way that he wants to speak to us. And uh, it, it's used by the Lord to actually show us ourselves and show us and speak to us uh, so, so uh, specifically where we're, at, where we're at. It does me all the time. I open it, and I find out that the Lord is speaking to me right exactly where I'm at. And it can even divide between soul and spirit. And even psychiatry can't do that. But God can. He can make a distinction between which part of you is actually functioning and acting up or a need. And uh, uh, he loves to do that. He does that with me frequently. Um, what we're doing this morning is we're going to go through a little study about how to read the Bible on a day-to-day -day basis, how to read the Bible consistently. Uh, not everyone does. And, and so I, I just felt it'd be good this winter to visit some of the basics. We did a whole sermon on just how to fast, another sermon on how to pray, another sermon on how to meditate on God's Word. I just want to lay in front of you just the, the need for all of us to be self-feeding, for all of us to be exposing our hearts to the Word of God, to the Bible daily, on a consistent basis, not, not just picking it up and, and uh, you know, randomly hoping something happens, hoping something speaks to you. Sometimes he does, but, but he wants us to be people of the book. He wants us to be people of the word, and he definitely wants to speak to his children. That's part of his way of growing us and his way of healing us and transforming us and renewing our, our minds and, and healing our souls. We're a work in process. Now, I gave you an assignment. I don't know if you, you probably don't remember this. I'll be surprised if you do. But we talked about meditating on God's Word where you visualize it and you create stories. You, you put yourself in the, in the book, not just read it, but actually visualize it. Biblical meditation. And I, I gave you two verses to meditate on as an assignment. Would anyone happen to know what those verses are? Can you flag me down with your arm if you can remember what those verses were? Yeah, Psalm 1, good for you. Psalm 1, the whole psalm, at least the first part of it talks about meditation and how successful God wants us to make us uh, as we meditate on the Word. Very good. Do you want to read it? You got it on your phone? Yeah, just read the first part. Come on up. This is worthwhile hearing again. And she did it. Now, the next one, do you, anyone remember the second one? Do I see a hand? Just two to six? Yeah. 
Okay, <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whether they, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. Very good. Anyone remember Joshua? You're, you, is that what you're going to say? Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8, yeah. And it's the same con concept that meditate in God's word. Day and night, don't let it leave your mouth, and you'll be you'll prosper. You'll be successful. We want you to be successful. I don't think you can be truly successful separate from God's word. There's a kind of success that the world has, but it's not lasting. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. And so God wants us to be people of the book. Here's, here's four reasons I give you uh, right off the start is why you need to be people of the book, why you need to consistently, daily expose your heart to the word of God. Uh, first of all, it's the highest privilege known to man. I mean, stop and think about it. We're one of the few generations that even have a Bible. There are people who died trying to get this into the hands of ordinary people like us. It used to be chained to a pulpit, and no one could touch it, and there's only one person even allowed to read it. And the only way you even uh, be exposed to the Word of God is you would hear someone read it. And here we have the Bible. Uh, I don't know how many translations I have on my phone. I have a little New Testament stuck on the caddy of my car. I have a, a Bible on my nightstand. Uh, I, I have Bibles a ton, on top of Bibles. And there are people who have never had that, and generation after generation, who never had the Word of God. And here we have it available to us. To not read it is wrong, is fundamentally wrong. The second reason is... is Paul was concerned that there's so many winds of doctrine that he doesn't want us to be blown around by every belief system that comes down the pike. And so you need to know the Bible for yourself. There's no way that you can get enough scripture in you from my little sermon or, or Nelson's sermon or whoever else is preaching here on Sunday. It's just not enough. There's just no way. It was never intended to be the only source of inspiration you have. You have to be... Uh, someone who knows how to go to the Bible and read it for yourself. We want you to, to do this. We don't want you to be, be blown around by every weird and wonderful word, uh, doctrine that comes down the pike, and there's lots of them. There's lots of them. Plus, our society and our culture is going through crazy things. It's a roller coaster ride. We don't want you to be blown away by what's going on in the world. We don't want you to be blown around. We don't want you to be blown away by what's happening. And the only way to really stay steady is you have to build your life upon a rock. You have to build your life upon the foundation of what Jesus taught, uh, his word, the scripture. That's the only way that your house is going to stand. You have to be in the Bible to be able to regularly sustain all the strange stuff that's happening in our world and our culture. Uh, I feel pity. I feel sorry for the people who have a CNN worldview of life. It is not enough. It'll hurt you. Number four, you have to have something to give away. We happen to believe that 
the world is going to come to the church sometime for solutions. And you have to be people of the book who have the solutions. So Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And he said, he said, the church is the ground and the pillar of the truth. In other words, if people are going to get the truth, they have to come to the church to get it. You don't go to City Hall to get the truth. You're not going to find the truth in City Hall. You're not going to find the hall. You're not going to find truth that, that sets people free in the psych ward, or you're not going to find it in, 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 the, in the police station. It's not the place to find the truth. The place to find the truth is the local church. And so, and it, but if we compromise the truth, or if we don't know the truth ourselves, or somehow we've mishandled the truth, what hope will there be? What hope will there be for this world? There'd be none. So the church plays a pivotal role in our culture, in our society, in our world of being the, the ground and the pillar of the truth. And so when people come here looking for the truth, we have to be bold. We have to tell them. We have to tell them what the Bible says. We can't compromise. We can't be ashamed. We cannot be embarrassed of the Bible. We can't be embarrassed about what it says. It is the only hope. It is the only hope, and we have it, and we have to share it. And so uh, there are people who are going to come to you asking you for the reason of the hope that you have, and you have to be able to tell them that you learned it. You didn't, you didn't, get, it, you didn't get it by osmosis. You got it through the Word of God. It was the Word of God that presented Jesus to you. It was the Word of God that showed you the way that you're to go. And so you need to have an understanding of the Bible, and I, I would like us all to, to, to make it our daily priority to expose our heart to the Bible, to open the scriptures for ourselves. I meet people regularly, and they say, well, I, I, I don't know how to read the Bible. I, I met someone recently, and they said, it's my goal to read the Bible. I just don't know how to do that. And I, I gave them a Bible and marked it up, showed them how to read it, because it's not like any other book. You don't start at the front of the book like you would a novel, and then go to the back of the book. It won't work. You, you'll get lost somewhere deep in Leviticus and you'll give up. You'll get, you'll get in Job thinking you're reading the book of Job and you'll quit. And so uh, Beth is here. And Beth, Beth, this was her birthday week this week. She celebrated her birthday. And we, we're, we love Beth. Uh, I didn't ask for permission to share this, but I saw this on your Facebook page, which is very public. And so... Last year, Beth decided to give herself a birthday present, and the birthday present was that she was going to read the Bible from, from uh, all the way through, not from front to back, but all the way through uh, in one year, and she did it. Very few people have read the Bible completely, but she said, I'm, I've decided to do this as a gift to myself. I thought that was so clever. What a great birthday gift to give yourself that you would open your heart, expose your heart to the Word of God for an entire year. She, she had a plan, and there's lots of plans. You can Google and say, even in your own Bible, it'll have a plan oftentimes of how to read it. And it reads different parts of the Bible in different, different stages of it all the way through. So it's not just starting in Genesis and going all the way to maps because very few people can read the Bible that way. It wasn't intended to be read that way. In fact, the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors, written over a 1,600-year period, 
written in three different languages and three different continents. I mean, it's, it's not a book like any other book that's even been put together. And then within those books are books. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a, it, there's nothing like the Bible. I've been reading it for almost 45 years. I've never been bored with it. I've never, I've, I, I'm fascinated by it. It speaks to me. It's living and active. It's powerful. It's a powerful, powerful tool, a powerful resource. It has changed my life. I could barely read when I first started reading the Bible. And God shaped me, molded me, renewed my mind, changed how I feel, how I think, largely through reading the Bible. I want us to expose our heart in some way. And I think systematic study, not just random, just picking it up and you just kind of flip around and you find some place and you just read a little patch of it. I don't think that's going to do. I think somehow you have to find a, a way to do it. And I, I remember the first time... Uh, First time I got a Bible, uh, I happened to go to uh, Matthew, and I started there. And Matthew is written to Jewish people, so it's a lot about the law, and, and this fulfills the law, this fulfills this prophet. This. And so uh, that kind of threw me off. And the first, the first chapter is all genealogy. I mean, it's who begot who. You get, I got lost in the begots. And so I went, to, I went to Mark, and Mark is fast-paced, short, compact, powerful, powerful book. And I often recommend people start reading in the book of Mark for that reason. It's a game changer. I, I'll tell you, I need to expose my heart to the four Gospels. I, I started with Mark, and then I went, you know, Luke and John back to Matthew. And then I just did that, and I did that every day for at least 10 solid year, years without missing just, just decided, I'm just going to go through, I'm going to read a chapter a day. And that systematic approach was a game changer for me. It changed my life. It changed everything. And, and I got to see Jesus. See, I had an experience where I saw Jesus with the eyes of my heart. But by watching him in the Bible and, and listening to him and see, following what he says and what, how he does it and what he does and how he reacts... And the more I exposed my heart to that, I started talking like him, walking like him, acting like him. I got to see Jesus. And there's something that happens uh, when I stop doing that, that I start longing for him. And one way to get back to that, a sense of nearness to him, is by seeing him in Scripture. I need, I need daily, I need to expose my heart to one of the four Gospels because I need to see Jesus. I need a fresh glimpse of him. And, and I don't have to read a whole chapter. I can read one story, close the book, and then, then commit that uh, to kind of movie making. I, I start making a movie of it. Sometimes I'm one of the persons in the crowd. Sometimes I'm the, a disciple. Sometimes I'm the person being spoken to. Sometimes I'm just watching. How did he do that? What did he say? Why did he do it? And I put myself in the story, and it changes everything. I didn't like the Old Testament as much. I liked the Old Testament stories, but I didn't like necessarily the Old Testament God. And, and, but the more I read it, I, re I remember reading at one point, one point where it says that, that all these commandments are for your good, and it came from the mercy of God. And I started reading the Old Testament through the eyes of mercy, and when God was forbidden them to, re to eat certain things, he wasn't being legalistic. He wasn't being strict. He was being merciful. 
He was being gracious to them. And so as I started reading it, and I started reading things like David would say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. I, I prefer it over food. I, I love it when he said it's better for me than silver or gold, even fine gold. It's like honey. I'm, and I thought, all he's got to go on is the first five books of the Bible, and I don't like them. So I thought, whatever he likes, he must be getting something out of it. Because all he's got is the first five books of the Bible. He didn't have the book of Psalms. He was writing it. So I started getting into the first five books of the Bible. It changed everything for me. I thought there must be something to love. There must be a way to see God here that's differently than how I see him. And, I, and I, yeah, I've been shaped and moved. In fact, I could say this. The more systematically I read the Old Testament in a, in a uh, consistent way, the New Testament came alive because it's written based on the Old Testament. You can't fully understand the New Testament. It can't possibly make sense to you because it's constantly referring back to the Old Testament. You need both. But I, I know this. When I expose my heart to the stories of the Old Testament, it produces in me something that I need, something that Penn Clark has to have regularly, and that's called the fear of God. When I read the Old Testament and I see truth being spoken or something being commanded, and then I see the consequences of, of them not doing it in a very short story, it's very sobering. It puts the fear of God in me. I need that. And I don't get that so much from the New Testament, although the book of Revelation can do that for me, at least the first three chapters. But I get it from the Old Testament because in a very short time, you get to see cause and effect. You get to see the fruit of decisions that people make. It's very sobering to see uh, the things that are hurting our society. And you look in the Old Testament, you say, nah, I can figure, I, now I know why. I, now I know where, why we're ended up the way we are because here's this, this is what it said not to do. It's profound. It's powerful. You need to expose your heart to the Old Testament. Find a way to do that. In our small groups, as you heard this morning, we're going through the book of Daniel verse by verse. Well, our group, it's been a buzz for me. I, I, I'm looking forward every time we gather. We're so far out in this thing. I think we're like chapter 8. We're just eating it up. Sometimes we do two, two chapters in a night because we don't want to stop. It's delicious to our souls. It's feeding something in us. It makes God look so big. and looks makes the affairs of man look so small. It's, it's the perfect book to read in this, in this political climate that we're in. It's the perfect book to read for that. I've been hungering for humility and, and, and uh, compared it with pride in my own life. And so, um, uh, I, so I did a study. One of the things I'll do is I'll do a theme I'll take a, a, a character trait or a quality that I'm looking for, and I'll study that all the way through the Bible. So I'm not reading every verse. I'm just reading all the way through for that particular theme. And Daniel's perfect for humility and pride. It's an amazing contrast in those two things that you can see. One of the things I've done as I read the Bibles is I'll find a character I remember, I remember not liking Abraham. I would avoid him. I thought he was just an old codger. I just thought he was an old guy, an old sheik in the desert. I didn't relate. 
Then I started seeing in the New Testament where he's the father of faith. He's the first guy that God says, everything he does, I want you to write it down because he's, he's the first person to really walk by faith with God and have it documented. He's got like a camera crew with him, so to speak, and someone's writing down everything that, everything that happens to, to Abraham. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. He said, Penn, if you really want to understand faith and how it works, you have to get to know Abraham. And so I got to know Abraham as if he was my next door neighbor. I spent so much time just just following him, watching him, watching him respond, respond, seeing how human he is. And even God just saying, I understand why he did that. And he didn't do that right. And but God swept up. God just was right there for him. He was faithful. It's an amazing relationship picture that I needed. And so I, I just camped out with Abraham. I love David. I got to know David. I spent time, I, I struggled as a pastor with leadership. And so I, the Lord says the way to get leadership is you have to look at Moses. And so I got to know Moses like, and he's like the pastor of a, of a two million member church. And he's trying to lead them through the wilderness. It's actually called the church in the desert, the church in the wilderness. Stephen called it that. And so I got to know him because I had a need. Whatever your need is, I'll tell you, whatever your need is, even if you got a dozen of them, you can find the solution for it in the Bible because it's alive. It's, it's living and it's powerful. It's active. There's no other book like the Bible. And whatever you're going through, I, I went through depression, so I wanted to find out what the Bible said about depression. It says a lot about depression. I, I had a battle with fear, so I just camped out. I just ran every reference to figure out me. I got a PhD in me. Because the Bible says, what we read in Hebrews chapter 4.12 says, that the Bible is quick and powerful. It's alive. It's living and active. And it can show you you. It can help figure out you. It can, help, it can tell you what's wrong with your marriage. It can tell you what's wrong with your finances. There's no other book. There's no other book. There's no other uh, source of truth that applies to every area of your life. And the only way you're going to get that is you have to expose your heart to it consistently, continually. Amen? So I would do theme studies. I would do word studies uh, that was a game changer for me. I would just do one word that I was looking for. In fact, I talked to a discipleship group the other day. And I said, just, just run your references on the word lawless. Because in our, in our society, there's lawlessness. It's, it's rampant. And, and, and I, never, I never saw it in the Bible. I mean, I just never really related to it. As I ran my references on, on, on lawlessness, which is people just doing whatever they want to do, regardless of what God's word says. That's what it means. It explains so many things to me. It explains so many things that happens in the church. And so I just run my references and I would just do a word study, just one word, just on the word lawless or lawlessness. There's lots of ways to study. Um, one thing I did for several years, for two solid years, is I just found every promise in the Bible. And I got a special blue marker, and every time it came something that could be used as a promise, I just highlighted that. And there's thousands of promises. Thousands of promises. 
I've got a Bible at home that I could show you. It's just, I marked it out specifically. All it contains is just highlights of every promise in the Bible. Because promises give us hope. Promises have, have something we can build our faith upon. We need to build our lives upon the promises of God. So random study, just pick, picking it up periodically is not going to cut it. You're going to have to find a way to systematically do it. Uh, the Psalms, the reason I spend time in the Psalms is that guy, David, and he's not the only author. There's several authors of the Psalms. Psalms is a compilation of several books. But the people who wrote the Psalms, especially David, he wrote the most number of Psalms. He puts in the words what I'm feeling. I can't think of any other book that puts in the words. I think, that's, that's how I feel. That's, what I, that's how I would ask. That's how I would approach God. And he puts in the words for me, the stuff I'm going through. I can't think of another book anywhere that expresses me expresses my concerns, my, my struggles, like the book of Psalms. In fact, we did a survey in our church one time, not this church, but another church I pastored. And I said, if you could take one, bi one book of the Bible on a desert island, what would it be? And almost everybody said the Psalms. The Psalms. They, it speaks to us right where we're at. Whatever you're going through, someone, someone in the Psalms was going through that and expressed it and wrote that prayer out and wrote that lament and that cry and that song. Nothing else like the Psalms. We need to expose our heart to it regularly. Proverbs for me is candy. If I'm waiting while my wife's at Target and, and I'm, uh, or at Aldi's or whatever, I just go to Proverbs. Proverbs is, is candy. It's just little, little pieces of something that I can chew on, something that is a morsel that satisfies. There's nothing like the book of Proverbs. I have friends who read a chapter, because there's 31 chapters. They read a chapter a day of the book of Proverbs. I, I did that for quite a while as well. Now I, I've read it so much that I can just pick it open, and it, and it speaks to me. The reason is it's alive. It's absolutely alive. This is not a book. This is a living and powerful tool that God uses to change us and to speak to us and inspire us. We need to get it into our hearts. We need to get it in the hearts of our family. We need to be people who say, now we've had a meal. Let's, let's open and see what the Word of God says. Not in some dry, old, legalistic way. God forbid. Some of us have been forced to do that. That's, not, that's a long ways from anything I'm thinking of. We need, to, we need to get it in some way that we can understand it. There was a dad. He had 10 kids. His name is Kenneth. Kenneth Taylor. And he had a long commute in Chicago. And uh, he'd go by train. And it was a long commute. And he'd take these little index cards, little bakery cards, and, and the reason he started doing this, he would get his kids around and he'd say, now let's open the Bible, let's read God's word today. And so he'd read something to them. He says, now what does that mean? And they'd look at him and they'd say, well, we don't know. It's, it's King James. So he'd say, he'd open a verse out of Colossians that would say, lie not one with another. And he said, now what does that mean? And they said, we don't know. And he says, it means don't lie. And he said, daddy, why doesn't it just say don't lie? And he got thinking about it, and he thought, well, it should just say, don't lie. Don't lie to each other. And so on the commute, 
he would take out his index card and he'd take a passage of scripture, a section of scripture that he wanted to read to his kids that night. And he'd, read, he'd rewrite it, look out the window and say, now, how would I say that that's faithful to the text? And, and, and very few people had ever had the courage to actually paraphrase the Bible. Because they think, who are we to paraphrase the Bible? It's the word of God, right? But out of necessity for his kids. And so he'd get home and he'd get out the index card and he'd read it to them and they, and they would understand it. And they could appreciate it. And then he, he put them together. He had enough of them. It was, uh, it was all the New Testament letters and he called it living letters. And he printed 2,000 copies at his own expense. And very few people were interested in buying it. And he'd say, uh, what, what passage are you reading today? And they'd, they'd tell him. And he'd say, now read it out of this. And they'd read it. And they said, that makes sense. I get that. Plus, he put an evangelistic slant to everything. Uh, his whole goal was to win hearts to Jesus. Billy Graham got sick. And, and one of his personal workers was a friend of Ken's. And, and the guy was always working for Billy Graham. He said, Billy, you got to read this. This is a little book called Living Letters. And he was too busy. And so finally he got sick. And he says, let me read that. And so he's laying in bed recuperating. And he starts reading Living Letters. And he got so excited about it. He says, we have to have this to give away to all of, our, all of the people who write to us. And it's the first time any kind of gift like this was given. He ordered 50,000 copies which changed Kenneth's life and became the best-selling book of all time for three years in a row. And finally, they, t they took it out of the category because it kept winning. But it became the living Bible. And it's an effort of, of somehow taking the Word of God to get it in the hearts of our kids. That's your responsibility. It can't be my responsibility. It can't be the Sunday school department. It can't, be, it can't be anyone else's responsibility. It has to be yours. But do it in a way that makes it come alive. It must be alive. It must become alive for them. I think, and I'll just say this at some risk because there are people who are King James only people probably even here this morning. I think all the different translations that exist are of God. I believe it's a gift from God. I believe it's a gift from heaven. I believe it, it doesn't change the word of God. And when I study, I study from the King James or New King James. I have to have one of those books as a basis for my study. But for enjoyment, to cause me to think differently, to provoke me to think, to cause me to hear differently, it's really beautiful to hear it from a different point of view. So I have a, a preference. I have a hammock Bible. So when I'm just relaxing and I'm just able just to let my mind go. And I have a Bible that I use just for that purpose because it makes me think differently. I had a friend. He said my goal was to read the Bible every year from a different translation because it just made me think differently. I thought that's pretty cool. I think all these different translations... Uh, and the integrity of the people who wrote them, I think it's, it's God's way of saying there, there's be no excuse for you not getting the Bible. There's a, there's a translation that you can relate to. There's a translation that speaks on your level of ability to learn. There's different translations. Let me say this, too. Not everyone here is a reader. In fact, I was never a strong reader myself. I, I, I think I was probably 20 years old when I read my first book. Not a strong reader. 
but I love listening to books. I listen to books regularly. I have several on my phone that I'm listening to. Then I found out you can get the Bible, and you can just listen to the Bible. And at one time, we ordered uh, audio um, cassettes with the Bible on it for everyone in our church just so that they would listen to the Word of God. If you can't get it reading, listen to it. Maybe God will use that to make you come alive. It'll speak to you. If you got long time in the car, long time in the tractor, long time in the shop, just put it on. Even if you're not listening to every word of it, something will catch because it's living, it's active, it's powerful. Something will get through to you. Listen to the word of God. Read the word of God. Get it into you somehow. We want you to do that. Can I give you a challenge? Can I leave you with a, an assignment? I'd like you to listen to Psalm 119. I spent more than a year one time, at least that's how I remember it. I don't know if it was exactly a year, but a, very, a long time, very likely a year, in Psalm 119. In fact, I actually photocopied it, cut it apart, put it in a binder, and began making notes off it because they're, they're just little pieces of psalms and it's all it's all about david writing about the word of god it's writing about how wonderful it is and it's writing about uh, and he's asking the lord he says lord show me wondrous things in your word in your law and he's extolling the word of god the whole psalm is about the bible the wonder of the bible i'd love that if that became your heart if that got in the inside of you however you can get it in you if you can read it it's long, if you can listen to it, or both. Or if you can write it out by hand and transcribe it somehow in, in another book, somehow so it becomes like a way of getting it inside of you, I think it could be a game changer for you. But let's make it our business. Let's, let's, let's pursue it. He says, uh, one of the things that he said in Psalm 119, he said, I, I'm going for this more than I'm going for silver or gold. We'd go a long ways, you know, if there's gold you could just pick up or silver you could just pick up. He says, actually, that the scripture are more powerful, more life-giving, more beneficial for our lives than silver or for gold. Amen? Let's become people of the book like no other time. I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm sharing this is in my own life. I've, I've given my, my life work as handling the word of God. Talk about a privilege. I mean, there's no higher privilege than that. But I notice with social media and the amount of availability on my phone and my laptop to things like YouTube and all these, it's just so much easier just to go there and have someone else tell it to me. And I've just noticed that my, my hunger for the word has changed proportionally. And the only way that I can do that is I have to stop doing those other things and I have to get back to the Bible. It's the thing that has shaped me and molded me more than anything else. But there's a competition for it, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. You could never get me interested in TV. You could never get me hooked on it. You couldn't tempt me with TV. But there's so much stuff and so much information and so many documentaries, so many things that are available now that weren't available at, at the click of a button that I find in my own life there's a competition for how much time I have left. And if you're tired, just go to what's easy rather than what's challenging. And there's something inside of me that's, that's, that there's a, a, 
a desire to say, no, I, I need to go back to where the life really is. I need to go back to the part that really matters. Does anyone else have a struggle like that these days? Unlike any other time in your life, perhaps others have said the same thing. Let's do it together. I think it's easier if we do it together. Amen? Let's stand together. How many would be interested in taking my challenge of reading Psalm 119 this winter? Going deep in it. Glenn, you're going to do it? It's a big psalm. It's a long psalm. As long as your arm. Anyone else? Yeah? Good. Great. Let's do it. Let's watch and see how God uses it to inspire us. Can we pray together? Father, we love you. We love your word. There's nothing like it. Lord, your word is life for us. It's, it's, it's milk for us, but we want, we want it to be meat. We want meat to give away. We want meat to f feed us and to feed others. We want meat to eat that would turn into milk for others. So, oh God, that we disciple people with your word. Lord, there's no other book that changes lives like the Bible. No other book. God, help us, I pray. Help me. Help us to truly become people of the book. That it would become our priority in a fresh way. Inspire us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.